Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Titus 2, 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people for his own possessions, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Thank you, Maddie and Leah, um, for reading. This is the best. So my name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace, and we actually have a special um, gift uh, for us this morning. Uh, pastor Tim Colling is actually going to be sharing with us from God's Word in, in this series, um, talking about hope this morning. Um, so Tim, he's actually preached here before, and he's a pastor over at Grace Seal Beach. And Grace Seal Beach is one of those churches that actually signed that letter um, of, of love and support to us as a church uh, back in February when we needed to hear just words of hope. Um, and so thank you for that, Tim. And I was thinking about what would, I, what would I say about Tim? Well, he and I got coffee a few weeks back, and I left that time thinking, you know, Tim is one of those guys who has such a humble and gentle spirit. And Tim, I mean, you create like a safe space for which people can be themselves. And that's how I felt when I met with you. And, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that you're here with us, why I'm so grateful Tim is here with us to share with us about hope from God's Word. So with that, would you please welcome Tim Colling? Good morning. I'm glad to be here uh, with you all. I've uh, known your church for over a decade now and have such a fondness uh, for you, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to spend some time with you. Let's bow uh, again this morning and, and pray to our God. Father, would you speak to us this morning through your living word? Uh, speak louder to us than all the voices that compete for our attention. Would you soften our hearts that we might willingly and gladly receive what you have for us? And whatever things may be weighing down your people here at Grace, Lord, let those things be laid aside this morning that they might serve you with greater and greater joy. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the world's only Savior. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let me begin uh, with uh, a quote from Comment Magazine. It's on the screen there for you. Uh, This is an article a few years ago that was titled Prizes and Consumables, the uh, the Super Bowl as a Theology of Women. 
And it's a really interesting look at the way our culture consumes events like the Super Bowl and how that depicts what we really believe about women. And here's the the words I found so compelling. The author writes, The calling of the church is to counter-narrate the stories and practices of the dominant culture. Where their story is violent, ours is peaceful. Where theirs exploits girls and women, ours seeks out and protects the marginal. Where theirs demonstrates a hunger for self, ours seeks to pour out self for the sake of others. Where theirs is tawdry, which is a great word. It means cheap and tasteless. Ours is holy. Where theirs finds transcendence in the things of the world, ours looks past this world to a different God. So that, that part that really got me, the calling of the church is to counter-narrate the stories and practices of the dominant culture. In short, God's people are to tell a different story. Through our lips, with our lives, we're to tell such a compelling story that people find whatever other story they've been uh, living with to be lackluster, which means lacking luster, to be unfulfilling, unimaginative, uninspiring, dry, colorless, vapid, dull. And think about that for a minute. God can use you and your family and this church to awaken people to the truth about God and themselves and what life is to be about, to help people hear, and by God's grace, to enter a different story a better story, one that makes the heart sing because it's so broad and generous and beautiful, a story that's so compelling and so true because of the promises of God that it's worth getting up for. It might suck right now, but God's making all things new. Amen? This is our story, friends, and it's a story filled with hope. Hope. That's what I've been asked to talk about this morning. It's the the third of four words or four postures that God is highlighting to your community during this season of of life and during this series, throughout this series. Humility, trust, hope, and joy. They all have two dimensions, a horizontal one with God, a vertical one with others. And so each sermon gets two weeks. Each topic gets two weeks. One week to emphasize this relationship. One week to emphasize this relationship. Last week, Pastor Daniel, Daniel helped you uh, consider the, the vertical aspect, uh, hope with God from Jeremiah 29. If you were here, you remember that. Today, we focus on the horizontal aspect, hope from Titus 2. Uh, now, if you heard last week's message, you know that it's, it's pretty impossible to speak of our hope to God without crossing over into our hope uh, with one another. Uh, Daniel, toward the end of his message, he gave examples from people's lives here at Grace where he sees hope, uh, adopting children who need homes, staying in marriages that are limping along, battling addiction, enduring illness and loss. And and just so you know, I'm not mad at Daniel for stepping into my sermon topic (laughs) because, like I said, it's impossible to talk about hope with God without talking about hope in the horizontal hope that shows up in the relationships, these realities. Our hope with God and neighbor go together. Uh, Before we get into the passage that was so wonderfully read uh, by the girls, I thought some comments about this idea of hope would be uh, helpful. 
Nadia Bowles-Weber is a Lutheran minister and theologian, and she says this about hope on a great site called The Work of the People. She says, Hope is not some vapid optimism. Hope is different. Hope has a defiance to it, a protest like Keith prayed. Optimism is just shallow, and it goes against the evidence in front of you. Hope is deeper and more powerful, and it will overcome the darkness. This is the basic confession of Christians, she says. It has to be. We believe in death and resurrection. This has to be our basic conviction. A light shines in the darkness. Everything else might be conspiring to convince us otherwise. The reason why it can feel like the forces of darkness and evil are so powerful is that they're raging because they know they've already lost. It's out of fear because they know they've already lost. So there's a defiant quality to hope. Not not just a wish, but a, a certain expectation. You don't get that when with the, the word hope. When, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope the Dodgers win the World Series. But you get that with hope when you read the Bible. Satan doesn't care about weather patterns or world championships. But he cares deeply about people seeing past their circumstances. He's not a fan of that. And he can't stand it when people lift their gaze from what is still unfinished and tainted by sin and see instead what's new and what's breaking into the world because of Jesus Christ. In other words, he hates hope. I think he rather likes our optimism. It's so shallow and weak. He hates hope. He wants all people, but especially God's people, to stay down, to split up, to remain in despair. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Our enemy's days are numbered. And the reality he's having a really hard time with is hope has won. Get used to it, devil. You lose. I think we should rebuke him a lot more than we do. We heard earlier the reading from Titus 2. Uh, There the Apostle Paul encourages us to hope in, in, uh, we could say, three tenses. We have a a backward-looking hope, a past hope. We have a forward-looking hope. That's a future hope. And the outline says our present hope, but I thought a little bit more, and I thought we have a a here-and-now-word-looking hope. So backward, forward, here and now word. So let me read Titus 2, 11 to 15 again. And I want you to listen for this, this hope, past, future, and present. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I pray that we would live lives that no one could disregard. Lives of that kind of hope. There's a lot of hope in this passage. There is. I'll try to keep our focus on the horizontal, especially on the present hope, Uh, but I I make no promises because sometimes it just goes where it goes. Uh, Paul begins with a a backward-looking hope, looking back to the coming 
of Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the world's true king. Look in verse 11. He writes, for the grace of God has appeared. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus has appeared. Christmas, which is not too far off, if you can believe it, is the time we remember the incarnation of the Son of God, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to save us from our sins. The grace of God is the person of Jesus, and He has appeared, bringing salvation, verse 11, for all people. This is our hope. This is our only hope that Jesus has appeared. The word appeared is an ancient uh, term for the manifestation of a god or a hero uh, to bring uh, help. And Paul uses that word to refer to Jesus Christ. And rather the temporary help from physical danger that a pagan god was thought to provide, the appearance of Christ brings salvation, permanent help, not from some temporary danger, but from slavery to sin, from the devil himself forever. This is why our great God and Savior, our hero, has appeared. He appeared. He really appeared. A real historical event. God stepped into time in the person of Jesus to bring salvation for all people. That's why we'll sing in just a few weeks, joy to the world. How did his appearing bring salvation for all people? It's in verse 14. Look there. He gave himself for us. While it's impossible to understand all the nuances of this gift, the gift of Christ, the passage highlights three things that I I hope encourage and inspire awe in us. This gift first was a free will gift. Christ gave himself. He gave himself. His life wasn't ripped from him unwillingly. He gave it of his own free will. He says in John 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I received from my Father. It was a free will gift. This gift was also a substitutionary gift. He gave himself for us. That is, he took our place and on the cross suffered the punishment that we deserved. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ's death didn't just make it possible for some to be saved. He secured it. He actually took, actually took your place and my place. He had you and me in mind when he died on that cross. He gave himself for us. So a free will gift, a substitutionary gift, and also a purposeful gift. His giving of himself accomplished two things that we could never accomplish ourselves. He gave himself, verse 14 says, to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession that are zealous for good works. This is covenant language. Redeem and purify a people for his own possession. It recalls the exodus when God redeemed his people from slavery to Egypt. It recalls the cleansing from sin and idolatry that God promised his people at Mount Sinai. Because they were, and we are, his treasured possession. The exodus, the Passover, the whole sacrificial system, all of it points to the one who would come to redeem and purify his people. It all pointed to Jesus and what he would do on the cross. That's our backward-looking hope. And it's wonderful what Jesus accomplished coming from heaven to earth, living and dying for us. And because he didn't stay dead, we have a hope that looks forward as well, a future-looking hope. Verse 13 speaks of God's people. It says they're waiting for their blessed hope, waiting for that day, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He appeared once. He will appear again. To those living in the, the first century, the idea of someone being in the presence of God and then appearing to those eagerly waiting for him, that would have made them think of, of the uh, high priest on the Day of Atonement coming out of the Holy of Holies to be met by the people. And, and one extra biblical uh, a book written about 180 B.C. records the appearance of Simon the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And the author Joshua ben Sirach uh, writes this toward the end of the book. How glorious, again, this is the high priest coming out on the Day of Atonement. How glorious he was when the people gathered round him as he came out of the inner sanctuary. Like the morning star among the clouds. Like the moon when it's full. Like the sun shining upon the temple of the Most High and the rainbow gleaming in glorious clouds. Like roses in the days of the first fruits. Like lilies by a spring of water. Like a green shoot on Lebanon on a summer day like fire and incense in the center, like a vessel of hammered gold adorned with all kinds of precious stones, like an olive tree putting forth its fruit and a cypress towering in the clouds. I mean, they're just waiting, right? And when he gets there, it's like that. If such beautiful words are uttered about Simon the high priest and his appearing from the temple, how much more glorious will the appearing of the Son of God be when he returns? Much more. The second coming of Jesus, the reappearing of the Son of God should fill us with hope. That's certainly what fills Paul's heart when he writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When Jesus comes again, He will finish the good work He started in us. He will renew all things. And so God's people, they long for Jesus to come. And while we wait, we encourage each other with these words. The cry of the church is, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But that day, that great day, 
is not for others what it is for God's people. Acts 17 is true. And there in verses 30 and 31, we read, God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man to whom he has appointed. And this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So judgment is coming. It is, but today, as long as we live in this time between the first appearing and the second appearing, there's an offer of salvation. There's an opportunity to be saved. Today there is still hope for you. We have a backward-looking hope. And it's wonderful. We have a future, a forward-looking hope, and it's glorious. And in between these bookends, this first and coming, uh, second coming, we could say we have a here and now word-looking hope. We have a present hope. Today, right now, we have hope. The reason there's hope in the present is that Jesus meets people in the present. God's grace trains people, verse 12 says, in the present age. Present for those originally reading Titus, what, what, that was the first century Crete. Present for us reading it this morning, 21st century Long Beach. So there's different ages, different cultures, different challenges between them and us in many ways. The same training is needed. And what is that training? I think it's two things. The grace of God trains us to renounce death, and the grace of God trains us to embrace life. The grace of God trains us to renounce death the ungodliness and worldly passions of verse 12. I take that to be a summary of our old life, the life we lived prior to receiving God's grace. It's the old self that Paul tells us to put off in Ephesians 4.22. We're to be done with it, not just minimize it or ignore it, but renounce, Paul says, those things. It's a rejecting, it's an abandoning, it's a forsaking or saying goodbye to all that death, which is so beautifully represented at our baptism, isn't it? When someone dies to the old self, going under the waters and is raised to newness of life, we cannot be passive in this renouncing of death. Death won't have it. Death's not playing with us. We must renounce and keep renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. This does not deny the brokenness we still struggle with, the lingering of death's influence, but it says to the powers, I'm a new creation now, so back off. The grace of God trains us to renounce death, but also to embrace life. Verse 12, we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In other words, we're to live lives that adorn the doctrine of God, kind of like a setting for a, a diamond that kind of props it up. That's our life. We're to live lives that are in keeping with, in step with the Spirit of God. It's putting on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God. We're to renounce death. We're to embrace life. When does that happen? right now. It happens now, in the present age. There is hope, my friends. 
in the present, here and now word hope. It's grounded in the past, what Jesus has done for us. It's eagerly expected in the future, what he will do when he returns. But in the meantime, what sometimes people call this the messy middle that we're living in right now, in the messy middle, our lives, our imperfect but spirit-filled lives can be rich soil where the plant of hope can grow. And and two stories I want to share this morning that I hope bear this out. And I pray these would encourage you uh, to maybe begin to hope if you never have. Maybe to hope again if you've been disappointed and frustrated and it just seems like too big of a risk. Maybe these would encourage you too if you have uh, hope in your heart, but it's just... It hasn't been kind of let out, let loose yet. Maybe God would let it loose this morning. Maybe there would be a real freedom to surrender to God this morning. And your hope would just begin to spill out over into others. So two stories that that I hope will encourage you this morning. The first, I just call it Hope in the Blake family. There's a a family in our church, Kurt and Allison Blake, and they have four kids the youngest is Quinn, and, and over the summer she was diagnosed with leukemia just before her first birthday. And she's in and out, mostly in at Chalk Children's Hospital of Orange County. And that little sweetheart has endured so many tests and scans, so many rounds of chemotherapy. A bone marrow transplant is on the horizon. And it would be easy, wouldn't it, for that family to lose hope. But they haven't. They're choosing to engage others. They're not isolating themselves from from the church or from their friends, from their neighbors. Incredibly, they're still serving at our church. They're still there to, to, to teach and to lead worship, and they come to gather for worship as often as they can. It's, it's incredible. Is there hope in the present? Is there hope in their circumstances? It would seem so. Kurt and Allison have not adopted some rosy optimism as if this isn't happening uh, to their little girl. Or, you know, it is, but it's going to be over in a week, maybe two. This isn't TBN. This is real. Their hope is real. It's strong. It transcends a good report from the doctor when she walks in the room. How is that? Maybe that's a question you have this morning. How can they have hope? How can anyone have hope in the midst of such horrible circumstances, such a tragedy to look at your one-year-old and know that she has this thing in her that's killing her. How can they have hope? Because they know God and He's real. Because they've been trained by grace to renounce death and embrace life. And now their training is kicking in. Because the God they know is a God who raises the dead and makes all things new. And their hope is palpable. You can feel it when you're with them. And everyone around them, doctors, nurses, neighbors, they're all experiencing it too. It's amazing. And then I have a final story of hope. Uh, this is from a slightly different angle. This is my, my story of hope. In uh, 2007, my family moved from... Uh, Long Beach, to Long Beach from Orange County to start a church. It was a restoration church. It was was wonderful, and it was challenging. And eight years later, in 2015, the church came to an end, Uh, but God provided graciously a new place for me to minister right down the road, Seal Beach. 
Our family was able to stay in the same house. My kids were able to stay in their same school, keep all their relationships. Julie kept her job. We were grateful. And I had, in between uh, those two churches, ending restoration and starting in Seal Beach, I had an unplanned and unpaid uh, but very warmly received sabbatical for six months. It was a good long break. I, I started my pastoral role in Seal Beach March of 2016. About a week later, I got sick. About two weeks later, I had a panic attack at a staff meeting, and I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what was happening to me. Shortly after that, I took an indefinite leave from grace, not knowing what was going on, what my future held. It was a really dark time in life. And I remember not being able to get out of bed, but not being able to sleep either. That's a nightmare. I'd hear my family laughing or talking in the living room, and I I didn't know if I'd ever be able to join them again. I yelled and cried into my pillow so loud that I, I muffled it extra extra hard just so the kids wouldn't hear that. I was worried about them, what they thought I was going through, what, what they would discover I actually was, not just what they thought what was happening to me. I, I reflected on this time later with the help of others, and I started to see what led to, I'm just calling it a breakdown. I don't know what else you put on that. I had a good friend back in Missouri die from pancreatic cancer a week before I started my new job. She was 41, a single mom, and left behind a 15-year-old daughter. That was hard to process. I had anxiety about my new role, the, a lot of work before me at uh, starting that, that new role in Seal Beach. That was a lot. I had uh, a lot of unprocessed grief about the closing of our church and the relationships that now were not going to be anymore. And add to that, I'd been in therapy for a couple years and had really been digging into some of my family's dysfunction from my childhood. I needed some therapy for my therapy, if anyone can relate. When I could finally start thinking about getting up and moving around, I knew I needed to hear from people, my people. And I hope you have your people. I needed to share what I was going through, and while I really like being the harbinger of hope, I like to bring it to others. I'm not so good at receiving, but I I got better at it out of necessity, and I did receive. I received so much from so many. Lou Huseman, he was one of the first calls I made. He told me to fall into God and quit trying to be okay. That was really good advice. A good friend of mine, Ron Cornelius, reminded me of God's sovereignty. He said, God never sleeps and never slumbers, Tim. He hasn't started now, and he has good for you through this. Some dear friends of mine, uh, Eric Marsh, Mike Goldsworthy, Jason Mather, Brandon Cook, they prayed with me. They took drives with me. They talked with me. They just sat with me. The leadership of my church now, Grace Seal Beach, where I worked for a whole week before this happened. They were incredibly patient and kind with me. They let me come into the office and do nothing until I could crawl and then finally walk and sometimes run. My therapist, who I no longer see professionally, but I see most Sundays because he now attends our church in Seal Beach, he listened and helped me discern God's voice in the midst of this time. Eric Balmer, that guy was a surprise. He was a surprise blessing. 
I hobbled down to the Starbucks near my home because no matter how dark life gets, you still need coffee. Eric and I talked for at least an hour, and he gave me a word that still rings in my head to this day. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. My younger brother, Andy, who has struggled with mental illness his whole life, I, I never needed him before. I called him, and I just needed him so much. Our relationship's been changed because of this. And my wife, Julie, uh, she was for me exactly what I needed, and it was so hard on her. But she was there. Their hope in God showed up in relationship with me. Their hope in God showed up in relationship with me. It carried me when I was unable to do anything. I was the paralytic, and they came around me and carried me to Jesus. In my deep despair, God met me in these frail yet faithful people. God is making all things new. And our role as His people is to see it and name it and thank God for it and posture our lives to take it in and give it away. Hope. What a beautiful word. What a great promise. What a powerful testimony. We can't live without it. You can't live without hope. And because of Jesus, none of us have to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. And I pray that our works and our mouths would declare, would proclaim hope. Hope in the midst of shootings. Hope in the midst of a lot of uncertainty. Hope in the midst of leukemia and mental breakdowns. Hope that carries us through and hope that above all testifies to your reality. You are a God who made us, loves us, provides for us, and pulls us through the darkness. The darkness cannot, will not, shall not, Overcome the light. Thanks, God. Amen.